Hey everyone, welcome back to the Made For More podcast where we're talking about being disciples and making disciples. As always, I'm here with uh, our authors of the book, Made For More, Dr. Kent Ingle, president of Southeastern University, Steve Saccone, organizational church leadership. If you don't know me, I'm your host for the show. I'm Michael Steiner, I'm the vice president for innovation here. And on this episode, we're gonna be focusing on chapter four, your calling and your purpose. Now, the subtitle is being Disciples, Making Disciples is the subtitle of the book. That's what we're talking about here on the show. And it's really this core calling that Jesus places on the life of his disciples, right? That's what we're talking about is that this isn't just a vocation. Being a disciple isn't just a box that you have on the side. We've talked about it, but this is a calling. And what does it mean to be called by someone? So tell us a little bit about what that your calling experience. I think each of you, you write about it in the book, but Dr. Ingo, I'd love to hear your calling experience. What did it mean to have someone come into your life and call you to something bigger. Yeah. Well, uh, you know, I'm I'm a, a strong proponent of relational mentoring, which is really what discipleship, in, in many ways, is all about. But I had a, men- uh, a mentoring pastor who taught me uh, some important principles that could guide my life in determining what is God's call. And he taught me about um, self-awareness. He taught me about self-management and and taught me how to connect with who I am so that I could recognize the right opportunities that may come along that fit my design, the way God wired me and, and created. And he said, if you follow your, your design, if you follow your passion, your gifts, uh, if you understand um, uh, and have a strong awareness of what's going on in your life. So, you know, experiences, all the good, the difficult, bad, spiritual, um, and, and you really, you know, reflect on that in your life, you'll be able to determine what is that call. Um, and that's exactly what happened with my, uh, uh, passion for communications and getting into uh, sports television. I, I have learned that as a leader, you, you want to be passionate about what you do uh, and, and how you serve, um, because that's what makes the difference. And, uh, and it will help and fuel the way you lead, encourage, empower people as well. So we have to put in the effort. We have to discipline ourselves. I think, you know, uh, as Colossians 3.23 says, tells us whatever you do, work at it with all your heart. So work at it with uh, an understanding of who you are as working for the Lord. And so that's always impacted me and my uh, leadership approach to what God's doing in my life and his call. Yeah, I remember when I was in college, I had gone off to college to become a dentist. That was my pursuit. And along the way, I still remember the night in my dorm room when I gave my life to Christ and just things had been stirring and I had this encounter with God. And, and then a few weeks later, I had another stirring that was, that was bubbling up in my heart. And it was, it was a sense of calling, which was very new to me. It wasn't like, oh, I had felt this or thought this or, you know, projected this in my life. And I remember at that time I went back to a church and I walked into the doors of the church and it was this pastor named Marty. Marty Baker, who saw me, uh, he knew me a little bit and walked out to me and started a conversation. And from that moment for many weeks and even months, uh, he began to mentor me. And what he helped me sort out was this sort of idea of calling that I had. Yeah, it was a calling to ministry, but what he also helped me sort out is like, it's, it's a calling for life. It's a calling for every follower of Christ to help other people in their their spiritual journey, their life journey to be a disciple in, in this context. We talk about that. And a couple things Marty helped me with, or I learned from him, you could say, is Marty believed in me. 
Mm. And that's a powerful mm. thing. When right. someone comes right. into your life, believes in you, sees you, uh, he sat there with me over coffee and invited me to his house for dinner and asked me questions and listened and spoke into my life. But I felt this spirit that he had toward me that was he was for me. Mm -hmm. And uh, I've tried to pass that on to others along the way, too. Uh, he also gave me opportunities. I remember the first time I preached, he said, all right, I want you to preach on a Wednesday night. I was 19 years old and hadn't took a preaching class or uh -huh. <laughs> nothing like that. And he was, I'm like, really? You know, and of course, of course, I did it. And uh, and afterward, everybody's like, you did such a great job. You know, it's like, which I'm sure it was terrible, <laughs> but there was really nice people there. Um, but for me, I, I I discovered a calling to ministry, but but what I've learned over the years is like what you were just saying. It's like it's not really about a call to ministry in the sense of vocation. This right. is a call for every follower, mm -hmm. and it doesn't mean you become a preacher, uh, but it means that you that you give your life to other people, that you put your arm around one or two or three people, and you invest in them, and you believe in them, and uh, and you help them sort that out. That that their life is not just about them. Yep. That their life is about others, and as you serve God, you serve others, and those go hand in hand. And I think uh, sometimes people can. Fuse calling with a role. Yeah. Um, yep. You yeah. know, it's it, 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 your role will reflect your calling, your gifts, mm -hmm. your uh, calling is really wrapped up in your identity and who you are mm -hmm. and how God wants to use you. And God can often change how he wants to use you. That's why it's mm -hmm. so important to have a system of learning, mm -hmm. discipleship, if you will, that just makes sure you understand your call mm -hmm. uh, so that as role opportunities come, um, you'll know what to do. I mean, I, I've had three different vocational careers in my life, mm -hmm. um, but they have all reflected my calling and my identity. And so I think that has to be... Um, established and especially when you are trying to uh, understand how God created and wired you and all of that. So it's important. Yeah. And I, I love it. When you think about the word calling, it, calling is, and I have, I have kids now, I've got th three girls on my own and I'm always calling them from their room. I'm always calling them from the living room to come get dinner. I'm calling them from outside, inside to wash up. And it's this idea that it, it, I love the way that you said that, Ken, because so many people confuse that calling with a label, right. but what it is, is that God is calling you from the circumstance, from the situation, from the life trajectory to something else. And what often happens is that happens in relationship with other people, right? It's, 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 we don't often get the audible voice from God, though that happens, but it's you're a mentor, different things. And what I love about how both of you do your leadership is that you have these powerful stories of people who mentored you and you mentor others around you. You carry that around. You're helping being that voice of God, calling other people to their calling. So tell us a little bit about your own approach to that process. As you're working with, with leaders and peers, how are you calling them towards that discipleship? Yeah. Well, for me, it's all about uh, developing a re relational framework. And, and, and one of the things that has worked uh, significantly in that framework is what I call active listening. Um, oftentimes as leaders, we have the tendency to find a solution right away. We want to solve a problem immediately, which is great and can be beneficial in a lot of, you know, circumstances and situations, but oftentimes we'll miss underlying issues that have to be mm -hmm. addressed. And I've found it's important to connect and get to know who you work with, building relationship, um, uh, become a mentor or a peer to them. And discipleship is so much more than equipping leaders in their relationship with Jesus. It's things like praying together, crying together, laughing together. It's, it's doing life with each other. It's about being a source of 
real strong relational community, but also a good sense of accountability. Um, you know, we want everyone to be at their best. Um, uh, and Proverbs twenty seven seventeen says, as iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. So I think listening is, is huge for me. Uh, the more I take time to listen in a relationship, the more I can discover how I can come alongside and encourage and empower and support them in, in who they are so that they can be the best at what God's called them to do. It's interesting, too, if you read the Gospels, Jesus asks quite a lot of questions himself. Mm, right. So that's just kind of an interesting thing when it comes to his own method of disciple making. Uh, you know, disciple making can take on a lot of different forms and different things can be effective. And I love what you said, uh, Kent. You know, there's there's unstructured kind of forms. There's more structured kind of forms and everything in between. But one of the approaches that I uh, that was modeled for me that I've tried to also pass on is what one one person that mentored me and discipled me described as it's informal but intentional. Yeah. And so good. his approach often with me was, hey, why don't you come over to my house? We'll play basketball. And so we would hang out with different people, play basketball, and we're, you know, drinking Gatorades on the side and having sometimes... Um, not not in a forced way, but sometimes like really substantial mm -hmm. conversations right. or some nights we'd say, hey, let's go grill out behind the backyard. And and that became discipleship moments, right. moments yeah. that I still remember some of the moments or some things that were said uh, or ways he challenged me or encouraged me. Or even one time, um, you know, this one mentor of mine led a person to Christ right in front of about 11 other guys, yeah. you know, and just the way he went about it, it was like, oh, man, I want to bottle that up mm -hmm. and take that with me. So it was informal, but it was very intentional. And then there's been other people that have been more structured in their approach and how they've discipled me and, again, how I've tried to pass on. When I was in college, uh, there was a guy named David. He worked with Athletes in Action. And after I'd become a Christian and I was on the baseball team there at South Carolina, and I didn't know any Christians at the time. Well, there was one on mm -hmm. the team. He was trying to walk on. And uh, and he said, hey, I want you to – David said, I want you to start a Bible study with the baseball team. And honestly, it produced a lot of fear <laughs> yeah. in me. I was like, are you kidding me? Yeah. <laughs> I'm 19 years old, a brand-new Christian. But he saw leadership potential, sure. and so I did. So I just started inviting him. He helped me invite him, and I show up. And he gave me, like, a piece of paper that the study was about, but he didn't really walk me through it. <laughs> so it's like I show up, and we didn't know if mm -hmm. one or two or three people were going to come. And I think ten people came. Eight of them were not Christians. Yeah. I think two were Christians. Over the course of that semester, uh, a few of them gave their life to Christ, which was mm -hmm. pretty cool, which also gave me the framework of disciple-making. We think about discipling Christians or Jesus followers, and although that's true, sometimes you end up discipling people who aren't yet Christians right. toward Christianity or toward mm -hmm. Jesus, mm -hmm. ultimately. And that started to happen. One of those guys ended up playing 15 years in the MLB, and wow. he was a you know verbal, vocal voice for Christ. So that was kind of cool. But that first time I led that small group, mm -hmm. I would call it a failure because about halfway through, David took over. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, he's like, yeah, I'll, I'll I'll take over the rest here, you know. And it was me learning, but he coached me, and we had yeah. feedback afterward, and that's been a big part of it yeah. as well. And giving me that opportunity was a disciple making you could say tactic or strategy mm. that helped me. It pushed me. It got me out of my comfort zone. I learned a ton from that. And, you know, years later now, I've led all different kinds of small groups and Bible studies, mm -hmm. including ones with non-Christians. I've seen people come to faith. I've seen people grow. 
Um, and it all really started there because of David giving me that opportunity. Yeah. So with all your experiences, tell us a little bit about some of the, the challenges you faced. And I think this is going to be super valuable, especially if you're listening right now and you are leading a small group or you're engaged in a kind of formal discipleship process at your church. What are some of the challenges and how do you overcome them when it comes to discipling other people? I think one challenge when you're, let's say, with someone one-on-one and maybe that's at coffee or lunch or maybe that's just in a conversation on the side uh, we all have, let's call them self-protective mechanisms, maybe a little ego at times. And so sometimes it's hard. You see something in someone yeah. and are they giving you permission to speak into their life or say something or not? So the, the challenge that I often face is how, how do you remain intentional but not overly pushy? Mm. And I heard a wise therapist once say, there's there's not growth without resistance. So if you think about working out, right, if you're trying to get mm-hmm. big biceps, right, there has to be resistance. They call it resistance training. Yep. Uh, you push against the weight and there's a force there and, and that's how you grow the muscle. And so if you're growing spiritual muscles or for that matter, emotional or psychological, you know, those kind of things are all part of what make us human. There has to be some discomfort, some pain, some resistance. And so I've learned to push in a little bit, and it's a tricky dynamic, sometimes kind of a dance, and you're sensing and discerning how much is this person kind of letting me in versus versus not. Um, and, and that can be a tricky dynamic. So that's a challenge, but, but I think you always want to remain intentional. And when someone is kind of you know, saying, all right, yeah, speak to this or, or show me what you see. Sometimes I even just outright say, hey, permission to speak freely or do you mind yeah. if I share something that I notice? And and then I try to release the results. I try to let it go too. Like when I see something, I don't know, maybe they have a, a bad pattern in a relationship they're in and I'm like, man, it's very obvious to me it's not to them. And, you know, and, and part of it is like you want to validate where they're at. You want to show empathy, understanding. But I in the past, sometimes I've sort of only validated what they're going through, only empathize, like, yeah, I hear you, I hear your struggle, I hear your pain, and not got on the other side of it too and 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 sort of spoke into it. Mm-hmm. You know? So maybe one way to describe it is say is to say you you need a balance of both tender love and tough love. Yeah. Yep. And you gotta know your own sort of tendency. You know, if you lean more toward the tender side, people probably feel cared for by you, pastored by you, mm-hmm. perhaps. That's great. Um, but maybe your growing is, oh, I got to learn to say something more candid or yeah. clear or bold or, or whatever, and then vice versa on the other side, too. Sometimes people are really candid, but they need the, the soft side, too, you know, yeah. and bring some tenderness and grace to it. Yeah, and, and, and that's so, so true. I, the intentionality is extremely important, how you, how you begin to... Um, guide that relational development. Uh, and I think, you know, for me, I, I would add not only to the balance, but it's just time management with your relationships, how you yeah. navigate that time. I remember my first job in television sports. I was a sports anchor for the, you know, the five, six, mm-hmm. 10 o'clock at night. And, and my other three, uh, the two news anchors and the weather person were not Christ followers at all. And, um, but I became very intentional in my time where I could, I would beyond just the work environment, I would spend time with them and, and go through that listening process and just hear their life issues. And, and just by taking time to be with them, it was over a two year period. I actually were, I was able to lead them to Christ and in a relationship with him. Uh, but it was because I, was there. I provided that 
time, but also provided a sense of balance, as you said, too. Um, uh, you know, I think sometimes it's good to validate, you know, all of the issues they go through and, and, and creating that balance. But it shouldn't just stop there. There should be, you know, the intentionality is we want to see some growth in their life. We want to see resolution. We want to see healing, whatever's going on. But that takes time within that balance. And um, in terms of personality types, I think also it's good to make sure you you know who you're in relationship with and yeah. understand who they are so that you know how best to... Um, encourage, empower, or when to pull back or, you know, all of that. And so I think sometimes just trying to understand who they are, you know, and there's a lot of different ways you can do that. I mean, you know, what's the popular right now? Enneagram, you know, you have all those kinds of things, strength finder, all that stuff that, you know, from a a, a kind of a perspective of who are they so that Mm -hmm. you can best understand how to communicate to them. Yeah. One other thought I have on that, too, I, I have watched disciple makers over the years. And one of the things I just feel like all disciple makers do that are really good at it is they it's kind of to what you're saying. It's like grace, truth and time. Yeah. Right. It takes all of those. It's like mm-hmm. sort of the ingredients for growth. If you want to help somebody growth uh, grow, you want to you want to you wanna offer grace to them. You want to offer truth to them. And you it takes time. Right. right? Mm-hmm. It's like yep. Yep. That's how it all goes. I love it. I love it. I love this. Tell us a little bit more. What are some of the other things that people underestimate about the discipleship process? Kent? I think uh, one of the things is underestimating the power of, of, of asking questions. Yeah. You know, you, yeah. as you mentioned, Jesus a- a- asked a lot of questions. Um, and this ties back uh, to to, I think, listening, you know, active listening, ask the questions that, you know, can pull it out. I mean, um, I learned in, in, in my television sports and my interviewing that I did, you, you learn certain types of questions that hopefully will pull out the, the issues, the challenges, the stories that, you know, uh, people are going through and experiencing. And, and so we should be open to quieting the noise and just hearing, you know, others out. Discipleship making is, again, it is a continual process and ongoing. It's a continuous discernment and it's a lifetime dedicated to growth. And uh, for example, in, in a work environment, you should take this as an opportunity to ask, you know, maybe a supervisor uh, or someone that you're supervising, you know, what are some ways that I can improve or how can I help you better understand, you know, your role and what you're doing and, and how can I better, you know, thrive in, in this work environment? So I think those kinds of things, when you start asking questions, um, help significantly in knowing how to lead and guide uh, that relational discipleship. It's interesting. Jesus asked 187 questions in Matthew, 129 in Luke. He asked, I think, around 60 plus in Mark. Uh, And then when he got asked 183 questions in the gospel, when he gets asked questions, guess what he responds with? More questions. Questions. 307 questions. Exactly. So questions are important. Mm -hmm. And one more thing about questions, too, because I love that. It's like, I think sometimes questions have a, how I describe it is they have an echo to it. Yeah. Yeah. So have you ever been asked a question and it's like, you got to ask a question, you answer in the moment and then you keep thinking about it. Yeah. And really Jesus did that. He yeah. asked people questions and at times let people walk away. We don't know for sure if they thought about it, but I know that certainly happened in my life when someone's asked me a question at times and I've thought about it. And ultimately there's, there's questions I've been asked that have produced growth. Mm-hmm. So you're so great at that. And and I try to do that as well, to ask good questions right. to people that they got to think about, yeah. you know, and that may be a, a, a way that they end up growing. Well, and I think about um, when 
when Jesus died, there's that story, I forget which gospel it's in, where the, some of the people that asked him questions that walked away were the ones that came back and got his body and got him in the tomb, right? So they yeah. did come back full circle. We don't know what they chewed on, but I think it was yeah, Nicodemus, I think, yeah. is the one that... So it speaks to that, right? Yeah. Like, you don't know right. what's going to happen, what the Holy Spirit does in their lives. And that's not what you're responsible for. You're responsible to just introduce right. them in the moment. Yeah. So I love this. This is this is great. I think this is this is gonna be very practical conversation. So take us home, Steve. What is the last things that people need to understand? You know, especially as we're discipling others and we're engaging in that process. Yeah, one framework that's really been helpful for me. It's kind of a little bit of a structured framework mm-hmm. that I picked up years ago, and it's simply this: when you're discipling someone. Start with building a relationship. That sounds simple and basic, but that's where it starts. You build connection. You build chemistry with a person. You build trust. uh, You spend time with them. Maybe that's informally looking time. Maybe that's uh, maybe formal, like going to coffee once a week or lunch or something like that. Uh, Number two, after build a relationship, would be discern the need. So I'm always looking, if I'm discipling someone, what's their need? And maybe it's needs, but what's their, their need? So, for example, there's a guy that I'm discipling right now, whose name is Chandler. So we've built a relationship, we've established trust, connection. And one of the things that he needs is he's looking kind of at his future. He's young, he's 23 years old. Mm-hmm. He's asking questions about his future, his calling, like what's his purpose, you know, trying to discover that. So I'm asking him questions, but one of the things that I did with him is I discerned the need. He's a reader, he's a learner. So I recommended a book. I gave him one of my books about discerning God's voice, discerning God's call. And and he read it and, and I said, let's talk about this. When you get through three or four chapters, come back and let's have coffee. And that's, and that's what we've done. So building the relationship, discerning the need, and Third, develop a growth plan. So I already kind of got into that, but it might be giving someone a book or something to read, or maybe, you know, I try to find out people's learning style too. Like sometimes mm-hmm. people aren't readers so much as um, as they want to listen to a podcast or a YouTube video, but I'll send them something to kind of absorb and, and listen to and, and then come back and, mm-hmm. and talk about it with them. Or sometimes I, I'll give somebody an action, right? Mm-hmm. So the, the growth plan is I want you to You've never shared your faith with somebody. I want you to write out your story in a hundred words or less and let's go over it. And then we're going to eventually share it. So there's action items. So uh, build a relationship, discern the need and develop a growth plan. And I may not tell them those three things, but that's the framework that I carry with me when I'm thinking about discipling someone. I love it. I love it. Great conversation. Really excited for what people are going to be able to do with this information as we go and make disciples. So I hope you guys are enjoying this conversation as we're diving into the concepts of made for more. If you haven't picked up your copy of Made for More by now, make sure you go to KenEngle.com, grab a copy of this incredible book. You can also go to Amazon, wherever you get your books, grab a copy of it, bring it to your discipleship leader, or if you are a discipleship leader, buy this for your uh, next series. And uh, if you want to keep up to date with the authors, Kent and Steve, you can check them out on Instagram at Kent underscore Engel or at Steve.Sacone. And uh, we'd love to keep connecting with you all on social media as you're diving through these principles. And so we'll see you next week on the Made for More podcast.